Good morning. Yeah, I think we're getting there. I think I was several weeks ago. I think the most responsive our church has ever been was when Aaron said something about not liking Chick-fil-A. And like half the church was like, boo. <clears throat> so I'm going to take it on myself to like help us be more responsive. So here's how you do that. You say, hallelujah. hallelujah. You say things like, amen. amen. Go Matt. Uh, 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 I don't know about you guys, but this summer has been like, I feel like this week, all of summer and all of my activity and going caught up with me. My wife was supposed to go to Kodiak, and so we packed her up to get on the Tustamina, and then it quit, and then we unpacked, and here we are. So uh, today, yeah, exactly, boo that, right? Today, uh, what, what we're in, we're in uh, 2 Samuel 7, and I told you last week that we were flipping stuff around specifically for today and our children, right? Um, and so what we're going to take a look at is God's covenant with David. And what I want you to focus in on is the abundance with which God makes promises, the abundance with which He fulfills those promises. And so, uh, there's just so much more that he has for us, and yet our temptation, the, the, the likelihood that we are going to catch even a small percentage of what he is going after is not likely. And so, as we look at this covenant that he made with David, I want us to, to see how much more God is doing through this covenant. So, I'm sorry to all the men in the room. But, married men, do you remember the marriage vows you made to your wife? You remember them word for word? I have to be extra careful because my in-laws are in the house, right? So I'm going to do you a favor. If your wife is beside you, husbands, grab her hand. Let's say them together. I, by the way, if you were to ask me what my marriage vows were, I would have been like, I don't remember the first three words. I state your name. I, Matthew McCarter. Take you, beautiful, exceedingly smart, amazing wife, Maranatha, to be my wedded wife to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish from this day forward until death do us part. Is there anything in there you don't remember saying? I think my wife would be like, I don't remember that part about being poor. A lot of us see a wedding vow as a contract. Maybe some of you don't, but I would would wager that there's some people in in the room who are like, 
if I am going to do that, you need to follow through on your part of the vow in order for me to do what you want, right? But you understand that a vow is not like that. It's not actually a contract. A vow is not a contract. A vow is not a if you, I will. If then. It's not an if then statement. It's a I promise I will before these people and God, right? It's a promise. It's not subject to the other person. How many of you know that for those of us who have given our lives to Christ in this room around the world, you are referred to not just as the church, but the bride of Christ. And God himself has made vows toward you as his church, as a unified body, and to you as individuals. But he doesn't call it a vow. He doesn't call it a promise. He calls it a covenant. Right now, even in the midst of my in-laws, I would say, standing here right now, when I said my vows to my wife, I did not fully understand what I was saying. You know, I didn't really understand how much it was going to cost me. I didn't really understand uh, the pain that I would experience in marriage. The, the time commitment that it, I would need to make, the sacrifice. I also did not understand the joy or the goodness of marriage. And I would argue that standing here before you today, I still do not understand the capacity, the range of how much those things are. It'll take more than a lifetime for me to understand those things. But when God makes a covenant, he is fully aware of, there's no delusion of what it's going to cost him, the commitment that he's making towards his bride. The biggest thing that he has no delusion over is who will bear the responsibility in fulfilling the covenant, right? He is going to be the one who fulfills 100% of the covenant that he makes with man. So in the Old Testament, there are actually um, a number of covenants. And the first covenant, you could argue, is the covenant that God makes against Satan. He says to Satan, he says to the serpent, um, I will bring forth an offspring from the woman and he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. And that is the beginning of God bringing about redemption to his people. And that happens immediately after the fall, after Adam and Eve sin. And then he goes on to uh, make a covenant with Noah. He sees that the world has become completely evil except for one man and his family. And so he floods the earth. And after the, uh, Noah steps off the boat, the land is dry. He makes another covenant with Noah. And he says, I will never again flood the earth. I'll never again pour out my wrath 
through rain and water. The reason he does that is he doesn't want Noah to be terrified every time he sees a rain cloud, right? And then he goes on, you meet, a, you meet another man in, in Genesis 15, Abraham, and God calls this man out from his hometown and he says, I want to make you the father of a nation, and I'm going to be the one that accomplishes that through you. And there are going to be many people that come from you, from my relationship with you. And then he goes on, as Moses leads the people of Israel out of Egypt and to Mount Sinai, God gives 10 commandments and then makes a covenant with his people Israel and says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And then you fast forward to David. If you remember, I told you we were going to go out of sequence. And what I think is important for us to realize before I tell you this story is actually the stories that are on either side of God making a covenant with David. Because you remember what Randy shared a couple weeks ago was that God, or sorry, David, leading the ark back to Jerusalem makes a mistake in carrying the ark. And then after the ark is seated in Jerusalem, what does David do? He sins with Bathsheba. And so in the midst of God making this promise, this vow to David, David shows you his weakness, his ability to make mistakes, and his ability to utterly fail. And yet the goodness of God says, I will continue to move forward with this promise with you, and it is not up to you. So David brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And he sits down, chapter, verse one of chapter seven says that God had brought rest to the entire kingdom from all of their surrounding enemies. So David takes a seat in his house, this massive house that he's built with cedar that is given by nations around him. Right? He sits down in his house and he starts to ponder in his rest. I am seated in this giant house of cedar. Meanwhile, God is outside in a tent. And he says to, he says to his prophet Nathan, he says, hey, I have, a, I have an idea. I'd like to build a house for God. And Nathan responds, sure. God is certainly with you. Go on. Do what's in your heart. Go after it. That very night, God steps in and starts speaking to Nathan. He says to himself, God says to Nathan, I don't, I actually have never, since my time with Abraham in the wilderness, I've never asked any of my servants to build me a house. What, what are you doing? Why are you trying to build me a house? And so God says this to Nathan. He says, go and tell this to, to David. And so he tells Nathan a number of things. And I'm not really going to tell you the whole story. I'm just going to tell you the impact of the covenant that God makes with Nathan and David. The first thing that he says is, uh, God is going to make David a great name 
The next thing that he says is, I will appoint a place for my people and I will plant them there in safety. And then he says in verse 11 through 15, he says this, this is the brunt of the covenant. Just read it to you. He says, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. God goes on in his covenant with David. He says, I will establish his kingdom, your son, and he shall build my house, a house for my name. And then he says, I will establish a throne for his kingdom forever. Forever. So how does the Davidic covenant communicate God's abundance? Not only to David, but to us right now. First thing that I would say is that God's covenant brings rest. To quote Alanis Morissette, isn't it ironic that this passage of God making a covenant, a promise that will be fulfilled only by him starts out with David having a real good idea. Says in verse one, they're all at rest. All of the enemies all around the camp of Israel are not to be seen. They're not at war. They're at rest. And in David's rest, he says, uh, I feel a little bit uncomfortable at the situation that's happening here. I'm in this house and there you are in a tent. I feel like I need to do something, right? How many of you struggle with feeling like I got to earn a little bit of this. Come on, be honest. Second Samuel 7, 5, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought you up. I brought up the people from Israel. I brought up people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent from my dwelling in all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word of any of the judges of Israel who I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? The answer to that question is, he did not. He didn't do that. pretty sure that every husband in this room has the same problem that David does. Your wife comes to you and says, I have a problem. 
and you say, check out my hook while my DJ revolves it, right? Anybody know the line before that? Scott? Yo, if you got a problem, I'll solve it, right? Jesus meets Mary and Martha. This is the way the story goes. Luke chapter 10, 38 through 40 says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. I tell you that there's there's not really a dumber way to experience Christianity than this. It's to say, God, thank you for your salvation. I'm so grateful that you have set me free. Now I'm going to work to earn it a little bit. This is not how it works, right? That's not what he's calling us to. The greatest barrier for us is not him or his distance. He's closed the gap. It's actually us that say, I, I can't really get there. It's really not okay for me to just rest and not earn any of this. Earlier this summer, my wife and I uh, were going to plant grass in our yard. And so we had dirt brought in. It's like eight yards of dirt. And at first, it was just this huge mound of dirt. And I didn't get to it for a little while. It just sat in our yard. And it was one of the best investments we ever made. Because every day, my children go outside and play in this dirt pile. So it's not just I'm growing grass. It's also like ministry to my wife while I'm not even there. <laughs> right? So lesson, moral story is go buy your wife some dirt. Not really. So yesterday I come home And the dirt pile's getting pretty low It's getting spread out uh, Mainly because my children are playing in it, right? And so all of my kids are out there And they have my wheelbarrow And they're filling it up with dirt And I get out of the car And I mean, it's like slam full, right? And my kid comes up to me and says Hey dad Uh, We're doing this for you. And I was like, man, thank you. That's awesome. I really appreciate you filling that up for me. And he says, I thought you would buy it from us. (laughs) And I kind of stopped for a second. Okay, I bought the dirt. That's my wheelbarrow and my shovel. And you want me to pay you for... No. No. And then I walked inside and my, mom, my wife says, you should give him a dollar. What? No, I'm not giving him anything. And on the rest of the day, he says, hey, dad, how much are you going to give me? Can I get a Lego from that? And he's got his eye on this $400 bulldozer. I'm like, there ain't no way 
I'm buying you a $400 bulldozer because you put dirt in a wheelbarrow, <laughs> right? That's not how the equation works, right? You're supposed to enjoy the goodness that, that I've created, right, for my family. It's the same way that we are towards God. So we get in, we get in our, uh, the way of ourselves, of just enjoying Him, enjoying the rest that He provides. Chapter 7, verse 10. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from, this, from that time I appointed the judges over my people Israel and I will give you rest from all of your enemies. You know that in order for you to have rest for your soul, it's not just about the enemy out there, right? It's about the, the enemy inside of you, the enemy that's distracting you saying, shouldn't you do a little bit to earn this? I'm telling you, that's not how it's supposed to go. God has more abundance in his rest than we can imagine. Number two, God's covenant shows his greater desire. Second Samuel 7, 8, and 9 says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you went. What David is saying, I wanna build you a house. And God says, that's not the point. The point is that my presence is with you. See, from day one, that's what God wanted to restore. Adam and Eve left the garden, kicked out because of their sin. And God says, I'm going to make a way. And along the way, at every step in these covenants, God is taking steps towards making that a reality for all of humanity again. But can I tell you, this is, this is one of the hardest things for me to accept personally, is that, okay, God, I, I believe that you gave yourself for the world, that you offer salvation for everyone. And I believe that you want me to experience freedom, freedom from my own brokenness. But in the day to day, as I sit and look for the Lord, it's hard for me to get past that step of saying, God, you really want to just be with me? You want to be present in my life? You want to actively engage me as I go about my day and making decisions and ministering to people and enjoying my wife and my family? That's what you want?
when David responds to this in verse 18, I feel it in my soul. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord in his presence and said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? See, God's God's covenant wants to give you a position of rest so that you can experience his presence. It's not about doing, it's about being with him. Jesus answers Martha's question, are you going to go tell her that I need help over here doing all this work? This is what he says, Luke 10. 41 and 42, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I don't need to do the dishes. I don't need to go make something happen. What I need on a daily basis is to sit at the feet of Jesus And to hear him speak to me, to be near to him. There's no greater way that I've experienced this than in marrying the person that I married. And I've told you before that the only way that happened was by the grace of God, right? When you see a picture of us like in our wedding day and you're like, how? How did that? What's happening? When we met, we attended a, a young church, all, pretty much all college students. There was probably like 2 to 3% anyone over 40, you know? So now I don't fit in anymore. <clears throat> and so, uh, Maranatha being herself uh, an eligible bachelorette was often asked to go out, right? And I had no business asking, but I did anyway, right? And so once we started dating, I started to figure out who had previously asked, you know? Like it just, it just came out, oh yeah, that guy. And not even from her, other people, right? So one day I'm walking through this restaurant and I see a couple of guys from our church and I go over, it's, it's just like here, like we know each other, we stop by, we say hello, how you doing? Um, and this guy was like, Super buff, you know, not me. Uh, and a friendly conversation. And, and then all of a sudden, it kind of just, it, the mood changes a little bit. And he goes, so you're dating Maranatha? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I could tell in that moment, oh, it didn't work for you, <laughs> right? But I know, I know. That me being with her is, is God's abundance. That I, I can't imagine. Anything that I tried to put together before fails miserably in what I have now. And can I just, can I just tell you that, that you, you can work towards an end. 
but there's nothing that you will experience a greater abundance in than him freely giving of himself in your relationship with him. I'm just like David. Who am I that you would care about me? And yet, I can't fully comprehend the willingness that he is, the steps that he's taking to achieve that. Number three, God's covenant prophesies. Second Samuel 7, 11 and 12 says this, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled, you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. What is likely the breadth of understanding of what David can imagine in this moment is limited to his child becoming the king and that child becoming the king and that his name and his descendants would rule over Israel for the rest of time. What he's doing is he's comparing it to Solomon. Actually, the Lord does that. In verse 15, he says, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. I'm not gonna do that to your descendants, David. I'm going to establish a son for you, and he is going to reign over this kingdom. When you're dealing with prophecy, what you need to understand is that there are near fulfillments and there are far fulfillments, greater fulfillments. What David is seeing is part of the fulfillment of that. Do you know that part of the fulfillment of of David receiving this covenant from God is actually his son with Bathsheba that has not been born yet. That's the fruit of this prophecy, of this covenant, that Solomon would be born and then raised up to build the temple that David couldn't. And yet there's so much more than that, right? Because we have the benefit of hindsight, of looking at this prophecy now on this side of the cross and saying, no, it wasn't just Solomon or your sons. It was actually God bringing about his son into the world to establish a kingdom that is far grander than you could have imagined, David. Luke 1, 30, 31 through 33, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. God tells this to David. He's not just looking at David's life or the kingdom of Israel. He's actually looking at the whole story, the whole story of God actually redeeming all of humanity. And this is how the God of the Bible, the God of the Scripture work, 
is that when he moves, he actually accomplishes a multitude of things at one time. So God brings about a son and a dynasty for David, and he establishes a throne, but he's also going to bring about his son in due time to wash away sin. God is achieving much more with his covenant than we can imagine. Number four, God's covenant is an everlasting kingdom. Second Samuel seven sixteen. in your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Verse 24 begins this rant of David about about God being the God of Israel forever. What David is imagining is that that God is not going to depart from Israel and that this kingdom that Israel set up and the nation of Israel is going to be this everlasting kingdom that will not depart. And so what David sees is looking backwards. This is what God has done and continues to do to work with this nation to fulfill his promises. And yet, it's still so much more than that, right? David at the beginning of the chapter sets out to build a temple to worship his God. It's not a bad thing, right? But in the end, what does that accomplish? What does the building of the temple accomplish? It's actually destroyed after Solomon builds it and then rebuilt, right? And in the days of Jesus, he's walking by the temple, the second temple, and the disciples look up at the temple and they say, look how grand and beautiful this thing is. Jesus responds, he says, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will, be not, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. He's speaking of the temple. And at his death... It's by his hand that he wipes out the temple, right? The earthquake comes, the veil is shattered, and everything falls to the ground. The temple is just a stepping stone to what God wants to accomplish. God's ways are still better. Ephesians 3, 4, 4 through 6 says... When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which has not made known to the sons of men and other generations as has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by his spirit. This mystery is the Gentiles as fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. If God had mentioned this in the covenant of David, he would have been like, wait, wait, what? In fact, when God said this to the Jewish community during his life, they said, no way. It's only, it's only ours. You are only our God. And yet, the only reason that we're sitting in this room is that he came for us, that we are now included in this nation, in this kingdom this everlasting kingdom that he's inviting you to. What David could have imagined is not even close to what he is currently doing. John 10.10. 10. 
says that the thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What God wants to give you is far more than you can imagine. And I'm not referring to possessions or material things. I'm telling you that what he has for your future, what he has for your life right now, in him and with him, you cannot currently imagine. And yet, he's eagerly inviting you to that. David is awestruck by the covenant that he understands God to make. And yet we sit here now with the privilege of time going by and we still sit and look at this covenant and go, God, you did what? So here's the question. Here's what you need to consider as you go about your day today. How much more is there to comprehend about God's abundance? How much more? How much more is the goodness He provides, that He is? How much more is there to His promise that I have not yet gotten? How much more is He faithful? How much more is He merciful, gracious? Can I comprehend eternity with Him? Can I comprehend eternity as a healed person with Him without all these struggles? Can I really comprehend my redemption with Him? I'm telling you, I don't think we, we've bitten off the slightest chunk of understanding of just how abundant He is. So as we conclude today, uh, I can't think of a better way for us to remember His covenant and to consider Him than by partaking in communion together. So I'm going to ask my uh, ask our, our team to uh, pass out. Everybody can stay seated. I want to remind you that this tradition that we have is actually uh, something that he asked us to do, to hold sacred. And so I would ask you to, to refrain from, from partaking if you haven't given your life to Christ, if you haven't fully entrusted your entire self to him.
Passover. The night before Jesus' death, the Last Supper, Christ took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for your nearness, for your desires, which are greater than we can imagine, for the king that you sent to redeem us, for the kingdom that you invite us into to partake in, adopting us as your children. God, I ask that, that today we would remember and give thanks for the renewed covenant that you made, the new covenant that is only gained by the blood of your son. God, I ask that, that as, we, uh, as we worship today, we would reflect and ask you, how much more is there? What do you want me to understand, to know? God, would you help us in an intimate way to know your character and your goodness? Father, we thank you as the only one who can accomplish these things. Praise your name. Well, if God's moving on your heart this morning, you can keep going. There's a prayer team that's going to hang out for a little bit after the service if you want to respond in prayer. And as always, you know me, I love grabbing a person next to me if I feel like God's saying something or speaking something. It takes some time just to pray and respond to the Lord. Um, if you are here and you don't know where your next meal is coming from, you can come talk to any of the staff. We have something for you. And also this week, um, we don't officially have the 12:30, but this week we don't have 252, but we do have the first look hallway. So if you usually help tear that down, if you want to pop into the hallway for a few to help with that, that would be awesome. Um, you guys have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless.